I am Joe Posnanski, and with me is Michael Shore. Michael, welcome. Thank you for having me, Joe. You're welcome. Is this exciting? Would you call this exciting? Well, it depends on what you mean. Uh, if you mean, <laughs> if by this you mean the podcast, then no, obviously it's okay. not exciting. However, if you mean today's guest on the podcast, yes, very, very exciting. I was actually referring to uh, the Yankees series, but um, <laughs> you, <laughs> <jerk. that's, laughs> you know, I wasn't our guest. We have such an extraordinary guest with us today. We have, and we've been promising this, by the way, how long have we been promising this guest? Mike? Well, we uh, started this uh, podcast in 1989. Correct. And I think we started promising it soon thereafter. So going on 30 <laughs> years now, let's call it for 30 years, we've been promising you. And now we have Megan Amram with us. Megan, Hello. welcome. Thank you so much. What an honor uh, to know where Mike Sure goes when he closes his door and <laughs> talks to someone for two hours. This is what it is, the podcast. That's right. Such an honor. <laughs> does, does Mike put like a, like a schedule on there? Because like we start these things and it's always like we're doing this thing in a crisp half hour. We're the 20 minutes. We're doing this. And then and then it goes on for endless amounts of time does he he doesn't he doesn't give you at this point does he just stop scheduling these things he just says ah, i'm closing the door and that's it Leave me i alone. assume that mike is recording a podcast every morning for three hours <laughs> it just seems like a regular thing it's, uh, it's I also, pretty close to accurate actually yeah yeah, um, yeah. I, I have to say i'm very excited to be on this po this podcast because one of my friends is an obsessive listener and texts me every time you come out with a podcast to ask me when I'm going to come on. So that can't be true. Shout out to Matt Da Silva. Could I make up a name like Matt Da Silva? Yes, very easily. So yeah. for those of you who don't know who Megan Amram is, first of all, what's wrong with you? Second of all, here's a brief right. bio. I'm going to do Megan. I'm going to do your bio, um, and you spot check me and see if I get anything wrong. Okay. Great. Okay. All right. So Megan uh, is from Portland, Oregon. Uh -huh. And she is a, a writer of great renown. She first came to my attention through the website twitter.com where she was writing funny jokes and things. And we met when I asked you to come in and interview for Parks and Recreation. That was season five. 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 Great. And uh, you were immediately hired uh, and wrote on five, six, and seven of that show and then written on uh, where the senior, senior uh, special advisor to me and writer on the, all four seasons of The Good Place. I love that. Uh, <laughs> uh, you are obsessed with, I would say, in no particular order, uh, musicals. Yes. Um, yes. Puns and wordplay. Yes. Uh, crossword puzzles and other sorts of puzzles. Um, escape rooms. You're also oh, obsessed yeah. with escape rooms. Yeah. Wow. Um, so that makes today's subject of uh, Harry Houdini pretty, uh, there's a, like a little crossover there we can get into. Uh I like it. What did I miss, Megan? Is that is that, that the basic bio? Not just was that a perfect, flawless bio, but it made me realize how condensed my life has been. And I, <laughs> it might send me spiraling into some sort of uh, crisis, but it, it was perfect. Thank you very much. Sure. And I'd also like to add, I don't know a lot about baseball. 
but I am very passionate about it. <laughs> <laughs> so we should, since this is largely speaking, although today's subject will be uh, largely Houdini, yeah, but we, but is normally uh, baseball and other sports. We should explain. You should explain for everyone the entirety of your baseball knowledge because <laughs> yes, it's wonderful. Um, yeah. So. Uh, I would say my knowledge was a zero. I mean, I know what a baseball is. I could right. see from like the emojis. Like I've seen a baseball <laughs> in like text emojis, but I can safely say I've never thrown one and I don't really know anything else about it. And then I started working with Mike. Mike, obviously very passionate and uh, some other people we worked with. And I felt very left out. And I asked if uh, Mike would give me one player to memorize so that I could have something to talk about uh, when people discuss baseball. And you, Mike, were like, yeah, okay, so your player is going to be Dante Bichette. Right. And so every time for what I think is years now, when mm -hmm. people have d discussed baseball around me, I'll just ask them what they think of how Dante Bichette is playing this season. Right. And people always <laughs> remind me that he hasn't played in like years. Right. Uh, but I know he has a son named Bo well, Bichette. So, yeah. So two, so two, two amazing things happened. Uh, I would say related to your, uh, personal adoption of Dante Bichette as the official baseball player of Megan Amram's life. The first was, well, this, the first thing isn't amazing, but it was fun. I was looking through old baseball cards with my son and found a rookie year Dante Bichette baseball <laughs> card, which I then brought in and gave to you. Do you have it in your office? I can't remember. If I do. I had it in my office yeah. all year and now it's in my home office at a place of great uh, honor. <laughs> great honor. <laughs> uh, wonderful. And then the other thing was that Dante Bichette's son, Bo Bichette, was came up and I remember texting you being like, Megan, something very important is happening. <laughs> you, need, <laughs> you need to know this. And by the way, not only is he playing in the majors now, but he's really good, he's which good. is doubly exciting. And not only not only is he in the majors, not only is he really good, but his name, Bo Bichette, sounds a lot like Boba Fett. And you <laughs> love nothing more, I would say, in the world than puns. And it was like this, the world, everything kind of like came together in one moment. It really reminded me that I'm the center of the universe. I'm the protagonist. <laughs> and it was all leading up to this. But again, I will say, even just knowing who his son is, is branching out a little from what I know about Dante Bichette. I like keeping it really just that I know his name and that he is not a player right now. Uh, so... But it's I'm very happy for the Bichette extended family, sure extended universe. Yeah. Well, I just I just think it's exciting that as every year goes past, Dante Bichette gets further and further away from anybody's knowledge at all, and so you coming in with a Dante Bichette fact is always going to be. It's always going to add spice in life to the conversation. <laughs> Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I don't want to just talk about normal. The same no. old people everyone talks about, like John. Everyone's talking about him all the time. I assume there's right. a baseball player named John. I want to, yeah, I want to really uh, come in with some hard hitting questions. Like, do you know who Dante Bichette is? I think um, the goal should be this the goal should be someday in the distant future, may it be a very long time from now, Dante Bichette will pass away. I hope he's 107 and he's lived the, sure. his best life. But yeah. at some point, as uh, death comes for us all, Dante Bichette will pass away. And I think the goal for all of us should be when that happens, that you, Megan, appear on ESPN 
to, to talk about the life and times of Dante Bichette. Like if that could, if you could be the person where when that happens, they're like, we got to get an expert in here. Let's go to Megan Amram, who's now whatever you'll be at the time. You'll be 79 years old. But it's like, we have to get Megan. She's the person oh, in yeah. the world. More than Tim Kirkjian, more than Jeff Passan, <laughs> more than Joe Posnanski, more than anybody. We The only person who can correctly sort of summarize the life and times of Dante Bichette is Megan Amram. That should be our goal, yeah. right? I, I also yeah. think like now that we're talking about it, I want to start making jerseys for every team, but it says Bichette on the back. I feel like that could also be a really fun like online store because I don't know really what team he played for. And if I go to games in different cities, I want to make sure I have a jersey, but just in case. Represent my guy. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. That is, sure. That's the other funny thing about this. He's the only baseball player you know, and you you're you purport to be an expert on him, but you actually don't know anything about him. You know his name <laughs> and that he played baseball. But if I asked you what position he played, you wouldn't know that, right? No, but in the baseball card, he's sort of leaning with one leg forward. I mean, he looks like he's going to hit a ball, I think. So he's <laughs> a hitter. There you go. He played hitter, yeah. This, yeah, he this, was a hitter. This if this is like the ESPN uh, report when he dies, this is exactly, yeah. and this is this is what you want uh, at that, that moment. That to be the extent of the analysis. Just like <laughs> I remember that he had a card and that he was holding a bat, and it looked like it he was looked, about to hit a ball. They don't just give cards I, to just anybody. That's true. It's either real players or like uh, little kids on their little league. That's uh, uh, so true. All right, this is this is so great. By the way, I, I I wanted to mention I did not. I was I don't know why I was not aware of of Megan's love of musicals, but I I just I it is something that I love uh, intently and and much more than I actually expected. We were the other day, um, I was with the girls and and West Side Story came up. And I realized that I can still to this day do the entire number of Officer Krupke from from That's West Side amazing. Story. <laughs> yeah, I I don't and so I've I've mentioned this in a in a um a post that I did, a, a blog post. I mentioned that I still have every word from Officer Krupke in my head. And then I realized that I also have every word from like incredibly minor songs like Shapoopy. I mean, like all these words are still in my head. And I realized that I'm, I, if, if, if this world, like if everything was tilted just a little bit, basically people would say of me that the only thing he knows is musicals and like everything else is like bonus stuff. So really? Yeah. It's weird. So you Cause could, I would you never get into like musical journalism instead of baseball journalism. Oh, absolutely. I, I feel like, well, I mean, that's, you know, I, I wrote, wrote about Hamilton. That's it. That's all I know how to do, really. I, the rest of this has just been fraudulent. I <laughs> so. One of my favorite things, which I have brought up to Mike before, is that there's a lot of really corny numbers in musicals about baseball, which is so funny yes. to me that I know more. <laughs> I probably know more about baseball from, like, Damn Yankees and the song in Ragtime <laughs> where they talk about race in baseball than – from any other real life thing, but I love a sports game in a musical. It's truly one of the corniest things that Broadway can do. So this is very <laughs> exciting to hear. If you could bring your baseball knowledge from Damn Yankees mixed with Dante Bichette, 
I, I think that makes you a mega fan. I actually yeah. saw you in Boston in 2010, there was an original musical written about the Red Sox. I don't think we've ever talked about this, Mike. It's called Johnny Baseball. It sounds like a parody. I don't know who made it. It was one of the craziest things I've ever seen uh, in how deeply, deeply corny it was. Uh, I think Mike, you have to be aware of this. I don't think I'm aware of this. No, I've Johnny never. Johnny Baseball. It's, it is. It, let me say a couple of things right now. It is insane <laughs> that this has never come up in the I like, know. seven I feel years Ill. that we work together. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it this is a major potential friendship bonding thing that, it feels like that, i'm like panicking and lying and making it up right now because i'm nervous on the podcast but i promise it's real <laughs> johnny baseball i i'm just and I'm they go back in time that's the other thing it's well, like old timey red Sox. Oh, I am totally looking. This thing has its own Wikipedia page. I am totally looking at this thing. Yeah, really. The new Red Sox. It's it's Johnny Baseball. The new Red Sox musical. That's right. it. That's literally part of the title. Uh, with a book by Richard Dresser, uh, involving circumstances relating to the curse of the Bambino. Oh, oh you love the Bambino, Mike. <laughs> 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 it has like 56 songs including Mr. Yawkey has a vision. What what in the world is this? How were you not I aware of this? How did Megan you not tell I him about like this? this? Is what is when, happening? This is like when children have like horrible traumatic memories like resurfaced <laughs> out of nowhere. This like is something that I saw and buried deep within my head. But to go back to what you're saying, Joe, there so much of my brain is taken up by musical lyrics and just like memories oh of musicals that I saw once 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm like, I could have been so smart and good at stuff, but instead <laughs> I know like all the words of every musical. Uh, the musical it. ends yeah. with David Ortiz ending the curse in 2004. Yes, there you go. How have you not seen this? I'm now. This is my only goal in life is to get you two together to see Johnny. Oh, that's Bates. amazing. Production. That's yeah, great... let's mount a production. We'll pay for it ourselves. <laughs> Megan will play all the parts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, so uh, wow, that this is such a good podcast because we've done fifteen minutes of absolutely oh, nothing. Oh, we haven't even gotten, yeah, no. no this is the problem, not. Megan. You don't understand. Megan, Megan emailed me a couple times and was like, "Do I need to prepare anything?" <laughs> and I, I, it's it's very hard to explain to um, someone. Megan is an extremely hardworking person, and it's very hard to explain that preparing would ruin it. Yeah, that the yes. only way that this can happen is if it's an hour or so of nonsense without any preparation or anything interesting actually being said out loud. That's, that's what we're going for actively. Okay, great. And that's what we get. And that's, that's what, what we get. get. <laughs> so we are building this podcast. We are going to talk, we are going to talk a little bit about, about the baseball playoffs with Megan throwing in many, uh, many thoughts uh, as well, but we, we should mention, or at least I should mention, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Mike, but um, I wrote a book. I wrote a, a, an actual book, and it is uh, about Harry Houdini, and it comes out in – well, we are doing this on f Thursday. Uh, it comes out in five days. Comes well, out on First of all, Tuesday. why is this the first I'm hearing of this? <laughs> 
Well, if Megan's not going to tell you about Johnny Baseball, I'm not going to be the one to tell you about my book. This should have come up earlier, Joe. You should have mentioned this at least once at any point in the last year and a half. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You know, I'm not good at this promotional thing. Like this idea of trying to get the word. You know, I'm shy and and I just don't. I don't want to bother people. I, I you know I, that that's my that's sort of my motto. Don't bother me. I hear that. <laughs> Seems fair, but I'm telling you now that I've written this book. It's called "The Life and Afterlife of Harry Houdini." Comes out October 22nd. I am uh, going on the road uh, starting today. Actually, tonight is my first event of this on Thursday night here in Charlotte. Then I'm coming to LA and 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 then going to Kansas City and New York and Washington. There are a bunch of other places I'm going. You can you can see. All of the places I'm going uh, on my uh, site, joeposnanski.com. Uh, just go to the about section and, and it has the whole tour thing. But I do want to mention one specific event because I really uh, hope that uh, that you'll come because I'm totally blown away. Uh, Monday, October 21st, the, the day before the book actually comes out, we're doing a very special event at the uh, last bookstore in Los Angeles. And I will be joined by Nick Offerman. Woo. How about this? Huge How about that? get. That's a huge get. That's a huge get. Nick Offerman uh, is going to be joining us. We have we have decided to treat the uh, the book event exactly the way we treat the podcast, which is I we don't even know. He doesn't even know what we're talking about. I, I mean, that's literally we're just going to show up and 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 uh, and hopefully mention the book, I guess, at some point in the middle of it, maybe. Um, but that'll be uh, Tuesday night. You can go online and uh, and and get tickets. The tickets are just the price of the book. And come on out to the last bookstore. We'd love to see you there. Uh, so we are building this uh, podcast somewhat around Harry Houdini and magic. I'm very excited about that. But before we do that. Yankee Minute. The Yankees, at this moment that we are talking, are in a uh, series with the Houston Astros, and they are trailing two games to one. And what would you say your panic level is at this exact moment, Michael Shore? Well, I mean, there's there's three possible panic levels I could be having right now. Correct. Uh, Yankees up 3-0. Right. Yankees up 2-1. Right. Yankees down either 2-1 or 3-0, and those two are the same panic level. Correct. Uh, so obviously it's the lowest possible panic level I could be happening, but it's still a near constant state of panic. <laughs> and like, <laughs> it's just because they're in the series, right? So, well, so, right, right. so when the Yankees are up 3-0 or 2-1, the inevitable uh, re- result is in front of you. They're going to the World Series. They're going to face the Nationals. They're going to beat Scherzer in game one. They're going to beat Strasburg in game two. They're going to sweep the series. The Nationals run of... Uh, of glory will come to an end. Creed will come crashing down around four Gliber Torres home runs in game one and <laughs> and it'll be over. So I don't have that level of panic, which is a sort of fatalistic panic. I do have the panic of um, of that, that comes with Masahiro Tanaka, who all year was either brilliant or terrible game to game, uh, is brilliant in game one. And so now there's a rain out. The rain out happened yesterday, and now he's pitching on full rest in game four, which is obviously advantage Yankees because he was so good and because Grinky got roughed up, and now Grinky's pitching in Yankee Stadium, and right. Grinky throws a lot of curveballs, and the Yankees have 
14 right-handed hitters on their team who reach out and flick the ball over their <laughs> right field fence. And so I'm assuming I've already conceded this game to the Yankees. It's two, okay, the series it's is two, two in my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, and then you have the next level of panic is, well, what do the Astros do now? Do they pitch Verlander on full rest and try to steal game five or do they hold him back and know that even if they lose game five, they're going they, with Verlander and Cole in game six and seven at home whichever is the right decision to have done, they will make the other decision. <laughs> if it would have been better to hold him back, they'll pitch him. If it would have been better to pitch him, they'll hold him back. That's sort of the panic level I have now is like somehow all of the, all of the weird things that happen in October baseball are benefiting the Yankees in my mind, even though uh, the Astros pitching staff has done a remarkable job of tamping down their hitters they really have like they want to they want they gave up two runs in 11 innings in game two that's incredible to do to that team uh and then cole was not his sharpest and still pitched seven shutout innings in game three so i you know like the astros are doing exactly what you imagine they would do which is standing toe to toe with the yankees it still doesn't give me any actual faith that they're going to win the series (laughs) because i have such a pessimistic and fatalistic view of the world and universe when it comes to the New York Yankees. Yeah. I mean, you've, you've, Megan, got, your you've got Grinky, you've got Cole. And mm-hmm. uh, I, I just think that, you know, they're pretty reliable um, for some of those uh, Torres home runs, but they're not mm-hmm. always going to, you know, get you the numbers you want. Uh, and the Yankees, you know, sorry, Mike, they're a big franchise and uh, you know, no one's going to argue with that. And the, the Astros have a really strong defense right now. And we're just going to have to see uh, if the defense outweighs the Yankees, very famous offense. Um, and yeah, I just think the Grinky homers are what's going to really turn this game around. Uh, and, you know, I feel really pretty panicky. Well, I just feel pretty panicky all the time because i feel like i have like an anxiety disorder so i would say unrelated to the series my panic level is pretty high but it sounds like this that's baseball is a really good way to like um if you have like generalized anxiety to just like put it on other stuff that's happening so i feel like that maybe is a good way to get into the game is i can just be like oh i can be stressed about a game that's happening Rather than to channel to channel your generalized anxiety into rooting into like a I sort of tribalistic for, yeah, yeah yeah for the boys um, okay well for, well first of all the analysis by Megan was dead on and, and and Mike you were way off I mean let's just be perfectly honest here uh, that's first of all second of all Megan's second part about actually putting our anxiety into sports is way too meaningful for the podcast and we can't go into it because that. <laughs> Is undoubtedly one hundred percent true and should not be it has talked no place about. Being, it has no place being discussed by. <laughs> yeah, us. yeah, of course. No, <laughs> no. Um, I'm panicking. I gotta say, I'm a oh, little wait, panicky. I, to say I, the I Verlander. Um, yeah, we'll see how he does. Yeah, go ahead, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Getting that Cole and Granky thing in there was so good, but I did wonder about like, uh, when did she get to Verlander? When will that announce? Yeah, I'm sorry. Coming? So There's that, a lot to cover. <laughs> there, there really is. I'm a little panicky, and and here's why: because the the I I truly believe the Astros are better than the Yankees. I I, I think they're better. I think they're 
their certainly their rotation is way better and kind of legendary. I mean, you you look at those top three pitchers. I think their uh, their lineup is not as like it's it's not as home run heavy, but I think it is uh, every bit as good as as the Yankees, if not better. And and I think that that they just seem to me to be better put together. The Yankees are so reliant on that bullpen, and and look, it's it's a scary bullpen, but. When you're throwing five pitchers a night, you know one of them is likely not to be very good. So, so I really believe the Astros are better than the Yankees, and that's why I'm panicking because I just think the Yankees will win anyway because that seems to be the the Yankee way. And you, as as everybody who listens knows, Mike always signs in as a specific person who is not him, and and today he signed in as Mike Talkman. Because that's the guy yeah. that's going to end up hitting three home runs in two days and and ending the the Astros, even though the Astros are better. That's that's the thing that has me panicking. Zach the thing that has will, me Zach panicking. will like shut out everybody on the team except for Mike Talkman, <laughs> who will go three for three with two homers and a double, and like they'll win the game two to one. Um, right. The the thing that I uh, feel, and this is like not a, like a super insightful analysis, but through the first three games of the series. Basically, like these are two very evenly matched teams. The Astros are stronger in some ways. The Yankees are stronger in some ways. The difference has basically been that Carlos Correa started hitting again, and yeah. the, and he he's he had a he had a bad year and he was injured and and he's you know he I think he hit seventh in game one. Like he it's crazy. Like he's he, he was a guy who like you expected from the moment he came up to the majors. Like he was your three hole hitter forever right he's a rod um not quite as good as a rod but he's he's that kind of guy and right. he's MVP type. an mvp caliber player and and he right. had been uh slumping the whole year and he'd been injured the whole year and then he's kind of like his bat woke up and he hit the walk off in game two and he's 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 hit pretty well and the difference essentially in the series is he's hitting and like gary sanchez isn't and that's basically it like that that one one kind when two teams are this evenly matched one guy that a team counts on for offense going into a deep slump and one guy on the other team who you has been in a deep slump waking up that is basically it and that pause for a second here can we just talk about the gary sanchez at bat i know megan wants to talk about this that's why i'm getting into it that gary sanchez at bat was one of the craziest things i've ever seen because he so gary sanchez is up at bat in a key situation runners on first and second extra innings he uh, he he gets blown away on two pitches from James. James was in the game, right? I think he was. Right. Yeah, one of the guys who throws a hundred in the Astros bullpen was in the game. He so he gets blown away, and then he hits a, a towering foul pop up that's going to settle very harmlessly into Alex Bregman's glove, but instead it hits the girders on the roof of the stadium for the second time in the game. This happens. That's crazy. Uh, one of the Yankees hitters hits a ball that hits the roof. And so he gets a second life, right? So then uh, I think he takes ball one, ball two. And then he, uh, James throws him a, a, a slider in the dirt that he his bat misses by, what would you say, Joe? Oh, my God. Like two feet. A two foot feet. and a half is Le- what I was going to say. Yeah. Legitimately foot a, two feet. Foot and a half, two feet. Yeah. And he, uh, and the ump rules that it's a foul tip. And in oh. part, he rules that it's a foul tip because Sanchez, you can hear him on the audio saying, I fouled it, I fouled it. Yeah. And he just yeah. kind of like talked the ump into it. I think the ump heard the ball hit the dirt and thought it was a foul tip. And, right. But in Sanchez, but Sanchez was actively lobbying the ump. Oh, he, yeah. Oh, he yeah. He was saying, I fouled it. And everybody argued. And for some 
dumb reason that is not a reviewable play, which is the dumbest thing in the world. Everyone can see it at home. It should be a very simple radio in from from New York to the umps uh, earpiece that it was strike three, end of story. But it's not. And so he gets a third life now. And right. Josh, uh, is it Josh James? Is that his name? Josh James. Yeah, yes. I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, he, yeah, thank you. Megan. <laughs> Uh, throws a throws a pitch uh, at 98 miles an hour that's probably three inches off the outside corner and and it's called strike three and it's a bad call but to be fair this is Gary Sanchez's third life and he only got this third life because he lied out loud yes. we all heard him lie and say I fouled it he lied like a like a liar and said I fouled that ball which I get it you're just like AJ Pierzynski in 2005 you want to like you know uh sure. I don't have to tell Megan that yeah. by the way she was thinking AJ <laughs> Pierzynski um but he lied and we all heard him lie and then he reacts like a crazy petulant child when strike it three is called on him and I get it it's the heat of competition and it's a big moment no. and you want to be you know but for God's no. sake man you got this is your third life and and you only got the third one uh, because you lied like a liar, you can't argue that loudly. You can't do that. You looked, he looked so petulant and terrible in that moment. I couldn't believe it. Yeah, it was awful. It was awful. And, and by the way, it's, it is something, and, and, and I know you're going to disagree with me. I don't, I don't know where Megan stands on, on replay and all of that sort of thing. Uh, I, um, I but here's, that. here's the thing. Well, sure. <laughs> But here's the thing, and 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 this is where where I think I want a human umpire. You you blow that call the way the umpire did because you were fooled by Gary Sanchez. He tricked you into making the wrong call, and it was not barely the wrong call. It was horrendously the wrong call, right? I mean, he, it wasn't even close. He tricked you, man. If that ball is anywhere near the plate, you got to swing. Right. I mean, you basically have to say, look, you are you are on your own now. OK, you 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 got yourself your extra pitch. But if that ball is within five feet of the plate, you better be swinging because I'm calling it a strike. That's something that a, a, a robot umpire wouldn't do. Of course, a robot umpire wouldn't have missed the first call in the first place. But but to me, that's to me. And, and I did a Twitter poll on it asking how people felt about makeup calls and. And, you know, I had a whole bunch of people respond like I don't necessarily normally like makeup calls, but I did in this situation where where the guy sort of lies his way into a, an extra pitch. And then that pitch, it was a ball, but it wasn't it wasn't like and it was, you know, three inches off the plate, probably right. Three or four inches off the plate. Yeah. So it was close enough. He could have fouled it off. He could have swung at it and 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 it wouldn't have been like it wasn't an impossible pitch to hit. And then for him to sit there and start arguing after that, uh, and not just arguing, but I mean, like, like he was robbed. It, it frankly, it reminded me of a character on on the Good Place, and I'm, I hope people are very much watching the Good Place. Uh, it is amazing again this year, and there is a character who is based on someone who uh, we don't we don't get into politics here, but uh, that's what it reminded me of. It reminded me of just such a petulant the world owes me everything uh, moment. And, you know, if, if it was somebody who wasn't on the Yankees, I might not have felt that way, but I did feel that way. Because I think I would have. I mean, I really do. I, I think that I would have felt that way if that had been a Detroit Tiger or a, yeah, or probably. a Cardinal. Like it just, it was so blatant in back-to-back -back moments that he 
that he was so obviously lying about something. And even the announcers, even Joe Buck or whoever it was, was like, <laughs> wow, he really missed that by a wide margin. And it, it's just it's just so crazy, man. You got to eat that. If they call strike three on you on a on right. a pitch that's sort of marginal call. I mean, it was outside. There was no question. But it was, like it was outside. And it was, but it, it was pretty obviously like a makeup call. And you even put a Twitter poll out immediately after, like, should right. there be makeup calls in baseball? Like <laughs> right. the, the correct result, the actual factual result of the at bat was that he struck out. He swung yeah. at a terrible pitch and struck out. So when you strike out, it, when the strikeout is the end result of the at bat, you can't be angry. Like you have already struck out, man. Like it already happened. We all saw it. You fouled out to third. That got called back. You struck out. That got called back. Then you struck out again. You can't throw a, a hissy fit when when that happens. It's just not okay to do that. Now, I just I, Megan, yeah, your I thoughts? want to jump in here for a second. First, by saying that I think I voted in your Twitter poll just because I like feeling included. <laughs> and I often, I would say I'm a real agent of chaos and will vote for it in any Twitter poll I see, whether or not I have any idea That's what awesome. people are talking about. Um, I think it really, the yeah, the fact that Gary Sanchez um, threw that fit, uh, as I am putting together... I think those are the that's the right person that you've been talking about. Uh, it it sounds really, <laughs> it it sounds is, really yep. childish, and it's like you should appreciate the fact that you get to do this big grown up thing as a job, which is throw the ball. And I think that you should just you know have a little more gratitude for that and not throw a little baby fit because you get to throw the ball and you get to hit it, and that's something for grown men to do. Uh, and I also just think that um, I already talked about Verlander. Uh, I think that, oh, well, Mike Talkman, I just going back here a little bit. I really sure. I thought it was just a name that Mike sure called himself to be like, this is what I do when I'm on a podcast. Like I'm Mike uh, Talkman. Like it's my alter ego. And when you're yeah. writing, yeah. you're Mike Wright, man. <laughs> and my first thought of course was that this was just something you called yourself but i it was really awesome to hear that he's you know you know really gonna come to life in game games four and five because i uh yeah. think he's a he's a late series player he's not like the first mm, sure. not games one and two he's a late series player um and uh yeah i think that just in the end, if Dante Brichette were playing on either of these teams, they'd have, I think, a great, you know, they'd have the edge on the other one. But I think you're right there. Yeah. 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 He, yeah. he, if Dante Bichette weren't uh, like in his mid 50s and were still playing, uh, I think putting him on either roster would really tip the balance in that favor. Is there ever a player favor. who gets to go back and forth between the yeah. two teams? There is a famous story. I don't remember who it was, but there is a famous story of a guy. Well, it's happened a couple times. Right? It's in the story's in Moneyball, actually. Right? It's a, a relief pitcher. There was a doubleheader where teams were playing two games in one day, and between the two games of the doubleheader, the player was traded from one team to the other team. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> you ask a crazy question, and you get a great answer, and that's my thought. All right, guys, great podcast. <laughs> 
<laughs> Talkman being my uh, podcast name, like T A L K M A N, would be great. First of all, I'm totally going to adopt yeah. that. Yeah. So um, you are Mike Talkman. But now, now I would like to relate a story which of one of one of my finest moments as a living human being on Earth, which is Megan Amram, as we've said, loves puns above yeah. all else. If you've watched The Good Place and you've seen all the restaurants uh, around the town, and they they all have pun names like Ponzu Scheme. And uh, lasagna come out tomorrow, and the pesto is yet to come. And those are ninety nine percent of those are Megan. Occasionally, one of the other writers or I would 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 get one in there. But generally speaking, Megan writes all of those jokes because she loves wordplay. And I one day realized that the name Megan Amram, M E G A N A M R A M, is a an anagram of Madame. Anagram, yes, right? Yes, Wait. it's like the yes. abbreviation for Madame is MME. MME, which is Madame, the abbreviation for Madame, Anagram. It, so her name is an anagram of Madame Anagram. It, it really changed my life. <laughs> wow. I think it was like the first year we worked together and you were like, your name looks like a Hannibal Lecter style anagram, <laughs> which yeah, right. it does. And I, as someone who... Again, very obsessed with wordplay. I kind of obsessively anagram things when I'm like reading or looking at them. Had never done it with my name that clearly has the word anagram in it. And so Mike uh, (laughs) gets full credit for, yeah, really changing my life. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Now, now, can I ask sort of a semi-serious question? Like, can I, is that okay? Or are we done with the baseball talk? What What do we think? I think we're done with baseball talk. I think Megan's analysis kind of finished <laughs> yeah. us off. It did. It did get us. We didn't get Megan on the Nationals, but, but uh, you know, they're in the World Series. We have time later. Um, so my, I have sort of a semi-serious question, and that is when you're writing, <clears throat> and this is for both of you, but but particularly for, for you, Megan, the idea of wordplay, the idea of how words look and and the the letters and and mix I think how big a part of that is is that in your mind I mean like how how much do you think about that when you're actually writing a joke or writing you know a a part of of the of the show I mean is it there all the time I personally answering for myself because again as Mike and I have both alluded to there's definitely something wrong in my brain I can't really turn (laughs) uh wordplay like looking for wordplay and seeing it off. Um, And it really, I feel like my uh, puns, my pun relationship in my professional life, I have always hated puns uh, because I, I find they (laughs) remind me of like the tick in my brain. I can't get rid of. And at some point in parks and rec, I would when I think of a pun, I'd like quietly whisper it under my breath. And I feel like a year or two into it, Mike, you were like, Megan, just say them out loud. I know you're trying to not say them, but just do it. And then I started saying them all out loud and like texting all of them to Mike. And I'm sure he's regretted his encouragement at some point. But uh, now it's just really a floodgate has opened. At some point, I realized, uh, if you remember correctly, Joe and people listening out there in the in the TV show Lost, there was a sort of uh, hatch that led down to this room, and there was a computer in the room, 
And every like 92 minutes or something, the person uh, Desmond in the hatch had to enter a sequence of numbers on the, on this computer and then hit enter. And um, it was unknown what would happen if he didn't do that. He was sort of doing it on faith um, a little bit. And, uh, but basically it was like, if you don't do this, the world will end. Like everything will be destroyed. And, and in one point in the, in the run of the show, slight spoiler alert, they decide to test what will happen if they don't do it. And when they don't do it, like the world starts to end things rumble and shake and, and concrete cracks and, and like the whole, it feels like everything's going to blow up. And then they rush to the computer and they do it and everything goes back to normal. And I realized that Megan's brain is basically that computer from Lost. And if she doesn't emit a pun or a piece of wordplay every 90 minutes or so, I think she'll explode. <laughs> and, and my evidence for this is that that is roughly how often she emits yeah. a pun uh, over the course of the day. I mean, frequently it's, it's much more often than that. But it, if 90 minutes has gone by and she hasn't said something out loud that is a piece of, of wordplay or, or punnery, uh, I start to get very worried because I feel like the building we're in is going to blow up. Emit is definitely the right <laughs> verb. Just like as if it's radiation. Yeah. That if people are too close to yeah. it, will like start making your bones break down. That's correct. It's like an electromagnetic pulse that has to be like sent out from your cerebral cortex. Also, it should be noted, Megan has uh, synesthesia, which if you don't know what that is, it's it's a sort of crossed wire situation in a person's brain um that's very fascinating where you so explain your synesthesia because yeah. it's fascinating you see individual letters as in yeah, colors so correct? there are a few different kinds of synesthesia i have kind a kind where um i see all words and numbers and individual letters as their own colors and uh huh. i also this is going to sound very crazy but this is the truth when people speak or like when I'm speaking right now, I, I, in my mind's eye, see words coming out of people's mouths, like their comic book characters, um, which I think makes it easier to make puns out of them. Now, this being said, I'm really talking a big game about uh, my pun abilities, and I hope we get into uh, any, any proof of it and people listening are just like wow this girl sucks <laughs> That's actually the danger. but clearly there's something you know i'm not a doctor i am a baseball specialist and i'm not sure what it is but there's something in my brain that really all leads towards wordplay so I that the 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 idea of seeing words that's i i just think that's fascinating but mike do you do you like in, in writing is wordplay? Do you ever think about wordplay? Do you ever think about puns and that kind of thing when you're writing jokes and writing uh, scripts? I really don't. If sometimes it will occur to me, I think honestly, working with Megan for the last seven or eight years or whatever it's been has uh, has rubbed off on me a little bit because I feel like I now think of puns and wordplay more often than I used to. Um, my grandfather on my father's side was a lexicographer. He literally wrote dictionaries he wrote books called things like um 1000 most important words 1000 most interesting words he wrote a book called wow. Brit british english a to z which was a sort of compendium of all british idiom and how it differs in in american english and british english and had you know it was sort of a dictionary that was like you know we call it an elevator they call it a lift but then it also had sort of like you know um 
uh, idiom and and uh, and little phrases that Brit- British English users use and their equivalents in American English and stuff. And he was fascinated with words uh, and wordplay and and sort of puns and stuff. And he bought me a book um, when I was probably eleven or twelve that I wholeheartedly recommend. It's out of print, I think, but you can still find it in in some places. Um, it's by a guy named Willard Espy and it's called a children's almanac of words at play. Anyone, does anyone know this book? Um, it's a, it's a basically every, it's like a different entry for every day of the year. And it's just some, some of them are little riddles and some of them are like little anecdotes and some of them are little puzzles and, and sort of like, um, like I remember one where it's like a man dies and he leaves, he has three sons and he has 17 elephants and he needs to figure out how to divide up his elephants. So he he leaves in his will that this, his youngest son gets like a half of the elephants, and his um, second son gets a uh, a third of the elephants, and then his uh, the last son gets uh, one ninth of the elephants. But there are seventeen elephants, and they can't figure out what to do. So this wise man in the village says, "I'm going to add an eighteenth elephant to the to the pack." And then so the first son gets half, which is nine. The second son gets a third, which is sixth, which is six. Uh, the last son gets one ninth, which is two. That totals seventeen, and now I'll take my elephant back, and everybody's happy. Damn. And and it's it's just all these like weird little puzzles and games and kind of like fun little like um, collections of kind of like ways to you can twist and bend words and stuff. And uh, and I loved it, and I got really really into it, and I I still have it, and I. And I still like look at it. I'm excited to give it to my kids in like a year or two. So I've always cared about it. And I love language. I love I love like playing with it and twisting it and shaping it. I've never met a brain like Megan's uh, for whom language is like a, a constant, like gigantic clod of silly putty that she is constantly <laughs> pulling apart and twisting and shaping into things. And it's, uh, it's very fluid. She's the most facile with language person I think I've ever met in my life. And it's been a, I think it's had an effect on me uh, in terms of the way I write because like words to Megan are like, they're like, it's like super balls. It's like, you know, those like, it's like someone dumped um, a, an enormous swimming pool filled with super balls in Megan's brain. And they're just, they're just careening around and bouncing and knocking off walls and breaking vases and stuff. And she somehow is in control of all of it. But occasionally one of the super balls flies out of her brain and onto a page. That's a very um, flattering and nice way of putting it. To me, I'm just like, my brain no work good. <laughs> but i think it's it's got to be we've talked about this megan it's got to be all connected right your love of puns your synesthesia your no one in the world does crossword puzzles faster than megan she sends me sometimes she sends me texts um the last one she sent me was that she solved the new york times thursday crossword puzzle in five minutes and 36 seconds and she and she just wrote sad (laughs) underneath it (laughs) because it's like crossword puzzles don't pose a challenge for her anymore. They're essentially instantaneous. She just basically goes methodically through all the clues and instantly fills everything in. It's got to be all connected, don't you think? Like all of those aspects of your brain and how it works? I do. I mean, to me, all the things that I really love, which are wordplay and word puzzles and poetry and lyrics and all these things, 
all have that sort of flexibility of language and obviously jokes too. And that's why I've always loved comedy and why anyone who writes comedy has some version of that, I think. Um, But yeah, it's, uh, uh, I, I will add that crossword puzzles are something that I have been doing every day since I was like 16 years old or something. Um, and so it seems wow. very magical when you can do them really fast, but really it's that there's only like a few different words that they use over and over again, including yeah. um, <laughs> Jesus Alu. Is that a person? Is he a, that is a person? Yes. <laughs> He is. And also yeah. Mel Ott oh, okay. almost always appears Classic. in... Uh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of Mel Ott. Other than yeah. Dante Bichette, the only other sports things I know are because they have short names with lots of vowels in them, and they're always in the New York Times crossword puzzle. So, um, yeah. That's... It's basically every crossword puzzle is Ames, Iowa, and Mel Ott. Those are the... Yeah, <laughs> I, should, I should try to visit every place that is like Ames, Iowa should be where the crossword puzzle convention is next year. And yes, there is a crossword puzzle convention. (laughs) We should, we should get to um, Houdini puns, but here's what I'm going to do for the rest of this podcast. Mostly what I'm going to do is read texts out loud into the record of puns that Megan has texted (laughs) me over the last five years. So I'll start with this one. My brother is interviewing for a job in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Cordeline, and I said, "Better put that milk in the fridge. It looks like it's cordeline. <laughs> yeah, curdling, obviously. Yeah. So now, you, Joe, you should ask Megan about Houdini and puns and magic, and I will occasionally interject with puns that Megan has texted me. Yes. Well, it, we we decided that what we're going to do for this special uh, version of uh, of the podcast for uh, the life and afterlife of Harry Houdini." which comes out Tuesday, October 22nd and is available for pre-order before then. Um, we were going to have a draft of Houdini uh, and magic puns so that we are drafting magic and Houdini puns, but um, Mike and I are deferring all of our picks to Megan. So um, so <laughs> we're going to basically have Megan choose for us. We'll still see who wins, right? I mean, we'll still see which one of us Megan makes the best uh, picks for. This is assuming um, and can, can come up with like 10 to 15 Houdini magic related puns in the next 30, yeah. 60 seconds. <laughs> and she, and she very well might not be able to do that, but I have complete and, and utter faith. And then you will add, um, uh, you know, to some text uh, information, by the way, before, before we do that, um, so like word searches, Megan, like those, those ridiculous things, are those like just so like, do you, will you look at like a word search panel and basically see every word? I did instantly? take a test. Um, so for synesthesia, the way that they like test you, which it's not, it's a, it's a fairly ish common thing. I feel like 2% of the population has it or something, but the way that they test oh, okay. it is they basically give you a word search uh, that has a simple, like you have to find all the fives that are hidden within a jumble of letters and numbers and people with synesthesia are able to do it, you know, scientifically significantly faster than the rest of the population because they see those fives as a different color than everything else. Um, And so I took that Hmm. test as part of like a synesthesia study in college. And so I freaking crushed it. 
And that's why Mike hired me for Parks and Rec. He was like, oh, you can find the fives? Cool. Pretty cool. <laughs> but um, yeah, I would say word searches are less interesting to me than, yeah. Yes. That would think. I just, All right, well- did par- I just parked in a parking structure at P3F5. And my mnemonic to remember is, quote, CP3O is what I'd call him. F5, forget the name of my favorite Star Wars character. Yeah. It's really hard to stand behind these when you see them. I just get these texts. I get one of these. I'd say I get one of these every other day, probably, or sometimes multiple in one day. And then you never respond. I love you so much. (laughs) I never respond. Sometimes I just write, okay. Like, all right. Um, one one final point, and this might be something that would be of 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 use. So, uh, one of my other in one of my other lives, uh, we are doing a project about people's passions, and one of the people that we spent uh, quite a bit of time with and interviewed is uh, Will Shorts, the New York Times uh, crossword puzzle editor, who is uh, a, a wonderful wonderful guy. Do you know what Will Shorts's passion is? You you probably do, know. but What's do you know what his passion, passion is? Oh, table yes. tennis. He has played. Wow. Yes, he has played table tennis literally every single day for the last six years. Every single day he has played, and not and by played I don't mean he just stepped to the table. I mean like he has played extended periods of time, ninety minutes or whatever it is of table tennis every single day, including when he goes like to Asia. Like if he'll go to China, as he often does for conventions or, or whatever the case may be, he will, he, he, ha- he owns a table tennis center in Westchester, uh, New York. Uh, he will go there. He'll play table tennis. He'll go directly to the airport um, and, and he'll land in China and he'll immediately go to a table tennis center there so that he can make sure that he plays every single day. So, wow. There you go. That seems a little off, but but uh, there must be some connection. Do you, did, Megan? Do you play table tennis? Can you that, play table um, tennis? Will a you flip play side of me being very obsessed with like language and puzzles and stuff is that my physical prowess for most things is way less than <laughs> even average. Um, no idea where my arms ever are in space. Definitely couldn't hit a tiny ball like that. <laughs> So, but it does, it, it's recognizable that he would, I feel like there's a similar personality type of like obsessive people who get really into puzzles. Like most people who are into crossword puzzles do it every day, like can't stop doing it. So it makes sense to yeah. me that he um, would feel the need to just do this thing every single day. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I think half of it is he loves p- to play. He loves the game. He's very, very good at it. He loves that whole part of it. But I think the other half is exactly right. That's the puzzle of how to make sure that he plays every day. I mean, w- when I went and saw him, he uh, he said, oh, today is my, I don't remember what the number was, but it was like my 3,843rd consecutive day of doing it. You know, and it was, it was he knew, he knows the number off I the like top the of his head. I like the idea that, so, uh, anyway, editing just the a- New York Times crossword puzzle is just his like day job while he pursues his passion of table <laughs> tennis. But he's like, I'm going to give it all up as soon as I can go pro in table tennis. <laughs> I wish him the best. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think it's a yeah. smart move. That, we all do. I just we found a do. text from Megan that she complete. She sent me the screen grab that she completed a Wednesday New York Times crossword puzzle in two minutes and fifty nine seconds. <laughs> That's like you can't even. I can't even type that fast. No, it's I know true. Wednesdays aren't very hard, but two fifty nine, man. Uh, man. That- I also found one where she said, I am pay died. And I said, R.I.P. Oh. Oh. <laughs> this is a real really insight great. Really great work. Uh, into, I feel like what everyone fears, elite Hollywood people just texting each other their times on the New York Times crossword <laughs> puzzle. Um, but they got to... Yeah, it it takes the fun away a little bit that now I'm trying to solve it for time every day. And I'm like, what is my hobby? I'm just trying to sit down and feverishly type for three minutes at a time. I guess that's fun. (laughs) I have something I have to do at 210. And I'm remembering by saying 210, come on, like Tutankhamen. common. Yeah. All right, so Megan, we're going to um, <laughs> we're going to do Houdini magic puns. I'm so excited about this, and I will uh, promptly use them uh, as promotion for for my book. Um, so, with the first pick, Megan, because you are a guest, you get the first pick in the in the Houdini magic pun uh, draft. So, do, what do you have? By by this, I just say a pun. Okay, that's right. That is it. That's and, all we're related to Harry Houdini or magic or, magic. or magicians or, or straight jackets or well, anything. I mean, any, literally anything. anything. I, I didn't think of this before. I wish I had any puns to say out loud on this podcast. <laughs> I wish I had any puns. I wish I had. Who'd, no, it, again, as written, it kind of works. But I, I feel- <laughs> Most of them look better on paper than they sound. <laughs> well, we're going to put a list out so that people can see that, you know, and even if that's the only one. We're going to put the list out. I wish I had any good puns. ideas. Um, <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> that works. That works. I actually, I, actually had a, I actually did have a question for, for you both uh, that I'm going to interrupt the draft for very quickly because, um, you know, as a writer – uh, myself, I don't know if I mentioned that that I do write, um, but I don't. I write for the eye. I write for um, you know for people to to sit down and and well, they don't have to sit; they can stand. I don't care, but for them to read it in in, in silence and and you know if you if I write a joke, um, you know I I'll never know if anybody laughs or if anybody thinks it's funny, but I don't write it to be heard. Right. So the, the, that's that's, you know, as an author and as a as a journalist, as a, you know, as a blogger, whatever the case may be, it's it's not meant to be read out loud um, or might not work at all if, if it was read out loud. But but you guys write things that that basically can must work when they're read out loud, such as the uh, I wish I who'd <laughs> puns. Right. That's um, good when you but, say it. But is that but is that different? I mean. <laughs> but is that um but is that different i mean when, when you're when you're thinking about it do you have to do you say it out loud to yourself do you have to think about how it's going to sound versus how it just looks on the page i guess it depends on the context uh, i mostly just is- think how will this look in a text to make sure but it is that that's 
I think there's I think that you're 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 ascribing like um too much uh sort of planning to this. Like they uh, it's uh, like again the word is emitted. They just they tumble yeah. out of her. She just texts me things like the marvelous Mrs. Measles <laughs> and there's no rhyme or reason to it. It just happened. It just comes it's just in her brain and she has to get it out or she'll explode. So she just right. said she just says it there's it's not a it, there's no like um she's not trying to like win points at cocktail parties for being witty or anything that which is why it's so endearing it's i'm actively trying to push away all the people <laughs> in my life <laughs> but but i will say i'm actually i'm actually asking not specifically she puns i'm actually asking yeah. about writing jokes writing things that that for the show i'm just saying do you find it different when you're writing something to be read versus writing something to be spoken and 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 said on on television or or you don't have to answer the question at all really <laughs> it's it works either way i i really i think that the answer to every question you have about megan and puns is there's no answer like the, <laughs> that it, it it's like um it's a it's an automatic it's almost a fight or flight response it doesn't she doesn't plan it when she she does it when she's writing because she's always doing it like she does it when she's talking because she's always doing it it doesn't there's no like there's no strategy there's no long-term planning there's no forethought there's no anything it just is it's just like a pulsar in space it's like a floating around in a distant galaxy, just emitting the same radio waves at regular intervals that scientists can yeah. measure. That's all it is. So there's no, there's nothing else about it that uh, that you can analyze or wrap your head around <laughs> or understand. Even um, she on Wednesday, January twenty third, she sent me a text that said, "I asked if anyone had ever been discovered by bidding on charity walk on rolls, and Matt Murray said Dwayne the Rock Johnson, and I said Dwayne the Walk On Son." <laughs> Like it's just it's just a response. It's just a stimulus response. She's an amoeba who, like, if you stimulate the amoeba with a with a light beam in a certain way, will move to the other side of the petri dish. It's just it's just an automatic response that when people are talking, good, or she's reading, or writing, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike, you have the second pick in our draft, but I'm deferring to Megan. Megan, what other? What other Houdini magic puns can you come can come out of your brain? I really wish I had prepared more, but I okay. This one's a little maybe off color, but he died because someone like punched him in the appendix, right? That is correct. Well, at least part of the story. Alright, <laughs> Houdini. I, this is just be real. I was like, uh, Houdini died. It really when when you get punched in the gut it really uh, when he got punched in the gut it really upended his career <laughs> <laughs> again i did not prepare anything so i'm really working this out as i go <laughs> that only makes it so much better so yeah the it's gonna the, append the, it's gonna appendix up career it's going to appendix his career. career. Yeah. Up, up and Hicks career. Hicks career. <laughs> yeah, that's the part that doesn't work exactly. So you're saying that the punch in his gut appendix career. Yeah. No, that I think that's brilliant. That is what I'm <laughs> saying. <laughs> and so true. It is It is so true. Mike, how do you feel about your pun? I feel very great about it. I mean, it, uh, first of all, it has the benefit of also being historically accurate, which is wonderful. <laughs> that you want the, the puns to be historically accurate. It did appendix career. 
It really did. (laughs) Again, you know how to sell these. <laughs> that's, that's, by the way, I, that's sort of a spoiler for my book. Um, I mean, on Wednesday, November oh, yeah, 10th of last year, so almost a year ago, she tweeted me for no reason Who is Alfredo Virginia Wolf? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, there's no rhyme or reason to any of these. There's no point to them. There's no rhyme or reason to any of them. It's important that everyone remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, do you have a third pun? Wait, I do, but it's getting really far away from me. <laughs> I just, again, going through my head, magic. I don't even know if this is a pun at this point, but if you were confessing to a priest, sure. then you would be a penant teller, <laughs> which is a pun on penant teller, which is I understand her. Yeah. Or- magicians yeah yeah they 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 are magicians yeah yes good work i'm gonna try to i'm gonna try to bring this october 29th of last year which is my birthday she tweeted she texted me here's a birthday present someone said something about the hayden planetarium and i said hayden planetarium because there's an actress named hayden like hayden yeah yeah Happy birthday, Mike. It's coming up. It's a wonderful gift. I really. <laughs> that is a wonderful gift. All right. I'm still getting my arms around the pen and teller pun because I think that was penant, really, really good. You're confessing you're a penant teller. Yeah. You're a penant teller. I mean, that's you're... good. You're a penant that's good. teller. Yeah. You're a penant yeah, teller. Yeah, I know. You know, you could also do that with baseball because winning your winning your league means you win the pennant. So you could say if you're relating, oh, if you yes. if you're a, a person who's relating the story of how your team won the American League to someone else, Ooh. that makes you a pennant teller. Pennant teller. There we go. Yeah, if someone's wow. like, think of a pun that's baseball and also magic, then you have something there, <laughs> or they're gonna kill you. Then you're you've saved yourself. Oh, all right. Uh, I feel like. Oh yeah, go ahead. (laughs) No, no, please, please tell us what you feel like. No, I was just saying. I feel like we we have to start brainstorming work. Clearly, this is a great um, ad for your book. That I'm like, what's a word (laughs) that has to do with Houdini? Um, Handcuff, straitjacket, jacket, escape, Um, escape. Very good. Uh, yeah. Jew- Jewish. I'm Jewish. He's a Jewish hero. <laughs> Son of a rabbi. But that. Yes, that's that. Many, that uh, like, sounded a, like a like a. What? What did it sound like? Oh no! I was just. I was going to say that "son of a rabbi" seems like a great thing to say if you like stub your toe. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, he pulled a he pulled a rabbi out of his hat. There you that's go. Something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's a magician. He's a magician. There you go. He's a magician, magician and sure. he pulled a rabbi out of his hat. <laughs> um, here's on October sixteenth of last year. She texted me apocalypse, more like a chocolate chips. And then she texted, "Is that anything?" And then she texted, "A chocolate chips now, like apocalypse now." And then wrote, "Happy National Boss Day." I guess it was, it was National Boss Day. <laughs> 
Black that one out. Wow. <laughs> I I mean I could keep going back forever because these since we've known each other I've gotten two of these a week at least but uh, I feel like we've made our point and we should probably move on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Are we gonna Are we gonna try for any more? Because it feels like we've uh, we've we've gotten plenty. I feel like a Jew a, a magician who pulled a rabbi out of his hat is pretty good to end on. <laughs> Yeah, that honestly feels like probably my magnum opus here. So my ma- mag my magic mag magician opus. I don't magician know. Magician opus. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I cannot tell you how thrilling it is to watch that mind at work. That is so that is so cool. That is so amazing. It really is special. So, so dumb. <laughs> No, this is it's incredible. It's incredible. All right. So, um before we before we uh, do go, I think I need to well we we need to do our one last meaningless thing, but I think asking each of you to predict what is going to happen in the baseball playoffs and how it's going to end is is a crucial uh crucial element of this thing. Uh so Mike, how is this all going to end? I think uh, if I'm being rational, you mean you mean the how does the Major League Baseball season end? Correct, that's what you're asking. Correct. I if yes. I'm being rational, I think the Astros beat the Nationals in like five or six games. If I'm being irrational, which is how I prefer to be about these things, the Yankees sweep the Nationals uh, and it's and win every game in like an eighth or ninth inning rally the way that they used to do it in the late 90s and uh we sail into the winter lamenting uh Gliber Torres's World Series MVP and thinking about how they're going to somehow sign Garrett Cole and thinking about how uh they are only in year 1 of arbitration with uh all of their good players or less by the way I think Judge and Sanchez hit arbitration this year but Torres is still like somehow four, 3 years away cuz they monkeyed with his uh, playing time and we we feel like we're at the beginning of a dynasty that's the that's the irrational but also totally plausible scenario i think my rational brain with the astros up two to one says the astros beat the nationals yeah yeah i i think that the it's easy to be rational and easy uh to to say look the the astros i, I think we all feel like the astros are um probably the best team and I think we all feel like no matter what happens, whoever wins that series is going to be a big favorite over the Nationals. But I mean, does it have to work out anyway? I mean, who, who did you did you see this Nationals thing at all? No. And also, we were texting the other day and saying that like it feels a little like the 2001 Diamondbacks, where they have two kind of like A plus pitchers, starting pitchers. And they've got a couple guys who can hit the ball really hard. And they've got a couple guys who can't hit the ball really hard, but are somehow hitting the ball really hard right now, like Howie (laughs) Kendrick. And uh, there is a total Nationals in seven scenario against uh, over either of these teams where just Scherzer and uh, uh, Strasburg, who has been unhit. He's been every almost as good as Cole has been for a long time now. Absolutely. That those two guys just pitch games one, two, six, and seven, and they manage to eke it out. Like I could, that is absolutely possible. And they are so hot right now, and they're they're playing with house money. And it feels like that the 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 third scenario to me is Nationals in seven over either of these two teams. Like I don't think they, yeah. I don't think they win in four because the other two teams are just too good. Like they're so much better than the Cardinals, and the Cardinals just kind of fell apart. 
but I can totally, there's like a 10% chance of a nationals and seven, uh, uh, finale to this season. Oh, I think so too. I think so too. Megan, who, who is going to win the, uh, the world series? I think, uh, I'm sorry to say it, Mike. I think the Yankees Strohs going to have a real close series, but then actually I think the Astros are going to win. And, then it will be the Nationals versus the Astros, Ooh. and it's going to be uh, Texas versus Washington D.C. And um, I think that honestly, mm-hmm. D.C. needs a really big win right now. Not going to get into politics, and I think it's going to be um, <laughs> a clean sweep that no one saw coming. And I think uh, Mike Talkman's going to get. Really? Four home runs. I think that Verlander is going to get injured, <laughs> ball straight through okay. the stomach hole. He's going to have a hole in his body. Ooh. And I think that um, there's going to be an ump who gets, who there's a fight. He throws down a red card. And I think, right. oh no, I actually don't think it's going to be a clean sweep. I think it's going to be four to one. And, um, Four to one. Okay. Nationals. Nationals winning. Nationals beating four Astros four games to and one is your prediction. And also, in your, just to be clear, in your mind, what happens is Justin Verlander, there's a line drive back to the pitcher and it goes clean through his body. And so he's like in a cartoon where if he drinks water, the water sort of pours out of the hole in his body. Yes. And if like uh, what like uh, the roadrunner could paint a tunnel through it. Right. And- right. Wiley Coyote would have to run through it. Yes, exactly. And I think that uh, MVP is Ty, Mike Talkman, Dante right. Bichette. And I think it will be exciting, but also so it will be good that it's not too exciting so everyone can chill out a little bit. All right. We, we, I, I, I think that's that's where that's what's going to happen. I, that, that feels pretty pretty clear to me. I mean, she'll, she'll probably be the only person picking nationals in five, right? Or one of the only people. That's not going to be a popular choice. No, I think that <laughs> is, is that is that is Megan's that is Megan's own choice. That is she she gets that one all to herself, and um, I I think she could be right. right. Well, let's be honest. I mean, realistically, she. She has every bit as good a chance of being right as anybody else. I'd like I mean, to come it, back on if I'm right. And no, oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. If nationals, uh, if nationals beat either team in five games, you come on and, and it's just, it's just Megan's victory lap and you just get to gloat <laughs> yeah. and talk about how, you know, so much more about baseball than anybody else. Yeah. That'll be really fun. I actually fun. have a deep <laughs> yes. vested interest in the series now. So that's great. That's <laughs> I think that's great. I think that's great. All right. Uh, so we always do this thing at the end where we just call one last meaningless thing the endless meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. We talk about sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, nor Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast woe. It's one last woe. Mike, you want to start? Yeah, this isn't very interesting, uh, which I guess is the point, but um, 
I it's I spend too much time on Twitter. Megan does too. Uh, I do too. We talk all the time about how we shouldn't be on Twitter anymore because Twitter's terrible. But yeah. um, October is very funny on Twitter because everybody, for some reason, changes their name to like Halloween puns. Right. Right. I'm choosing this because it's appropriate. And and you know the world is uh, is going through a lot right now. There's a lot of very scary stuff happening in the world. And there's a lot of like the turmoil and a lot of political uh, intrigue. And it just adds to the to the stupidity and absurdity of our times that you'll read a really serious tweet about like the Kurdish retreat in Syria. And then the journalist who's writing it is called like Rob. It's like it's Robert, but now it's Rob Boort. And yes. <laughs> it's just so awful. Like it just makes you realize what a terrible website this is that like that we can live in a world where like you're getting really important, serious, late breaking news and everyone's got like a dumb pumpkin pun in their, <laughs> in their name. It really, uh, I, I just, I, it's one of those moments where like every time it happens, I can't believe that I'm still using this website. It's just, uh, <laughs> it's, so, it's so, it's so terrible. That's all. That was my only observation. Yeah. And they're the worst. These, first of all, every pun is like boo. It's just boo. Like every, or if you just or, have a B yeah. anywhere in your name, they just like, oh, well now it's boo. It's like, oh, stop. I will. Just stop that. Megan, Oh, feel? no, no, sorry. Um, I was just going to say... No, no, how do you feel about that? <laughs> I was going to say that is an extremely specific, amazing observation because it's also like just Twitter, but also the internet in general has gotten ramped up to such an intense degree, both with like the type of news that is coming out and then also just how many people are on Twitter and what the whiplash of what people are talking about. And I feel like not knowing people's real names is just a side effect of <laughs> knowing no one having any idea what's going on anymore. But I was going to say, this is a bit of a humble brag, but when I wasn't working on the good place, the past couple of years, I worked on the Simpsons and the Halloween episode is coming out this weekend, I think. And my Halloween name, cause I don't change it on Twitter, but mine on the Simpsons this year, I'm very excited for, which is the Amramityville horror. I was like, Ooh, that's very good. Really <laughs> that's good. excellent. So, uh, I'm excited to see that. Uh, you can't stick Boo in Megan Amram. That's not going to fit anywhere. But but people do. This is <laughs> this is my this I'm this is not my meaningless thing. But this is my beef. Is like like Mike Mills from REM. Like his name now is like Mike Boo Mills. Like no, <laughs> Why wasn't see, this, it Mike Chills? <laughs> The problem with it is, is because because of the like volume of information that that is assaulting us from every angle, is so overwhelming and constant. Is every version of every joke has been done? Yes. So every legitimate right. pun involving boo and ghoul and ghost and pumpkin and skeleton, whatever, has been done. And then there's this whole other wing of the internet and Twitter that does the sort of ironic non-joke version where they'll write like. Mike Boo sure or they'll write like <laughs> Bob Smith but it's scary or whatever so like you yeah, can't yeah. there's no way to flank it there's no joke like as soon as people started doing this every version of the joke and every version of the sincere version was done instantaneously 
And yet we're all still doing it every October, like clockwork, October 1st comes around and everyone has stupid Halloween pun names in their, uh, in their uh, Twitter handles. And it's just, it's, uh, it needs to end. Like I feel about this the way I feel about Black Friday, uh, which is that we won't truly be able to advance as a society until we all agree that we shouldn't do this anymore. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. <laughs> Megan, do you have a one last meaningless thing? Um, I mean, this is pretty recently meaningless, but right before we started this podcast, I saw that Paul Dano's going to be the Riddler in the new Batman movie, which I'm very excited by. Really? Yeah. I think it's some great casting. It's really edgy. Uh, again, fairly meaningless. So from no, it's what meaningless. I'm gathering that's is that that's sort of the tone we're going for. You know what I would love, honestly, and I mean this sincerely, like, I would love it if a, a movie, a Batman movie would tell us about his like backstory a little bit. Oh like my how did he become what? Batman? And I would also love it if a Batman movie at some point would sort of comment on society a little bit. Like, mm. is it dark? Mm. Like is society like dark and what are the people like in society? And like, what role does Batman have in the society? And like, where do evil people come from and like what are they after and i also just wish i knew whether i mean like gotham is obviously like a made-up city that has no context in like right. our real world but i wish they would make it seem like maybe it was like like it city. had some like some like kind New of York. antecedent or some kind of like sister oh, city this is interesting. yeah yeah like yeah if it was like like the city that comes to my head is like new york if it could just like i think it would be really cool if they could like set it in gotham but like in new york that seems like a stretch. I would say more like Lexington, Kentucky, or maybe Cincinnati or something like that would be good. You should also know that one of the biggest rifts in me and Mike's relationship is that I think all Spider-Man movies are good and there should be a million <laughs> Spider-Man movies. And Mike doesn't. And I think it's a very childish of him. Wow. I I just feel like we're we're good with the story of Spider-Man. I just feel like we're good. I know it. I've seen it a number of times with a number of different Spider-Men. I've seen it to play out. I've seen that. I know the story. I know how he got the spider powers. I know what kind of kid he was before them. I know what kind of kid he is afterwards. I know that he, who yep. he has a crush on. I know that he can't tell her he has a crush on her because he's secretly Spider-Man. I know what his, I know that he can shoot webs. I know that he can fly yep. around the city. I know that he that with great power comes great responsibility. I know it's oh, hard sure. to be a teenager. I know it's hard to fit in in high school. <laughs> I know that it's even harder when you're hiding a secret identity. I get the metaphor there. I get all the other metaphors. I know who Dr. Octopus is. I know who, uh, who the, the, all of the bad guys are that he's fighting. I know that the, uh, that I remember what it was like with Tobey Maguire. And I remember what it was like with whoever the next little twerpy guy was. And I know what it's like now with that new little twerpy guy. And I know that everybody thinks they're really cute and great. And I know that they're always British for some reason and they have to pretend like they're not. And I know like, I know the whole story. I got it. I know the whole thing. I, I, I know everything that happens in Spider-Man and I've only seen like half of the movies and I still have seen somehow the same movie 15 times. And every year they're like, Hey, you know what's coming out next year is a Spider-Man movie where we're going to tell you what it's like to be in high school when you're secretly a superhero. And I, I cannot believe that we as a society have said, yes, please, we're still thirsty. We haven't drunk enough of that particular drink. We'd like to know again 
what it's like to be a Spider-Man uh, in uh, in high school. The only exception to this, and this was a big breakthrough for me and Megan, was uh, Into the Spider-Verse, which I finally saw oh, uh, so like, a, like a, a couple weeks ago on a plane. And it's so good. It's really, so good. really <laughs> wonderful. And I and but but part of the reason I think it's wonderful is because they are playing with how familiar the story is to everyone. Like they're literally making fun of it of like, here we go. I got the thing and I got the power and the thing bit me. And well, like they do that joke like 15 times because yes. the story itself is so uh, is so frequent, has so frequently entered the culture over the last 25 years. Uh, that it, it just, I just can't believe that we're sincerely still interested in the story of either Spider-Man or Batman. I just, I cannot believe the number of Spider-Man and Batman movies. How many different Spider-Man and Batman do we as a society need before we're full, before our bellies are full with that particular narrative? What about Batman as a symbol? What do you think of that? He's not a symbol for anything. You're reading into that. You're <laughs> there's no there's no symbolism. Yeah, I think it's you're just a, a very straightforward from reality. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. My uh that was excellent. Uh my my meaningless thing is is truly meaningless. I I I've started like when I when I think of stupid meaningless things, I've started uh putting them in, you know, actually writing them down because I forget them and I put them in my phone. And, uh, and then every so often I will check it and I will look and I will cross all of them out because I don't even remember what they mean. I, I don't have any clue. Um, and this meaningless thing is, this is my meaningless thing for the week, is um, I'm about to travel because I'm about to go on the road for my book, The Life and Afterlife of Harry Houdini, which comes out October 22nd. When did and you write that? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Um, I realize as I travel I have literally no idea how neck pillows work. I don't I don't even understand how they I don't even know what they're for. I I see people with them on and I think is it what do they do? I don't know what they do. What are you like talking like, about what do you mean you don't know how they work? What how they like a pillow is like okay to put in the back of your head that you can like like lean back on it and you can feel like okay that that's you know, gives me a little bit of height and, and, and softness or whatever. Those, those don't do that. They're on your neck. I don't know what they're for. Because, what do they do? They push your, your, your neck out from in a soft way from the seat so that your <laughs> head can tilt back further, which is what it needs to do. You can't Wait. sleep with your head about to tip forward. I sleep uh, in a completely different way with a neck pillow on a plane. You sleep, you sleep like a regular pillow? No. Definitely not. I'm realizing now I'm laughing because I think I'm really messing it up. And I think this is a good topic. I sleep with my face down on the tray table. And what? I put, <laughs> and I put my face in the middle, the hole in the middle of the donut. And I sleep fully face down on my tray table. You're kidding me. <laughs> No, and if I don't have a pillow, I put my forehead up against the seat in front of me. Usually my mouth falls open. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, and sometimes I've given myself on longer flights bruises because I've pushed so hard into the seat in front of me. So you're sort of using it as like a sort of upright 
um, version of that thing that when you get a massage, yes, you put exactly, your face into the massage. Exactly. I see. <laughs> That's not in any way how it's intended to be used. But I, I guess I, if it works for you, I guess well, who who cares, it, right? It's one of those things where you're just like, wow, you. There's ways you can just be so wrong in how you're living your life. And until <laughs> did you think that's the way until right now? Did you think that's the way that you were supposed to use this it? This will not surprise you. I didn't think about it. <laughs> <laughs> you must have seen in your life other people using them in a very different way. I guess I thought they were awake. <laughs> and that when you put it around your neck, it's when you just want support. But you put it on the tray table when you really need to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're sleeping doubled over at the waist with your face on the tray table yeah. lying on the pillow yeah which again i don't think is good for you now that i'm thinking about it fully like 90 are you, degree angle are, are you turned sideways is your head turned sideways no, face down as if i your died. nose is literally directly into the ground into the okay Okay, I didn't think they worked like that. I, I, I was saying I don't know how they worked, but I didn't Man, think they worked really like that. you really opened a can of worms with your meaning of thing. Are you a neck pillow person, Mike? Or do you use a neck pillow? I don't, no. I, 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 there's no way that I will ever like remember to bring it on a trip. Like, ah. you know, and if I do, I'll lose it. And also, I just don't want to pack it. Like, if I'm, like, if I... I just I do the thing where I sl- I I try to sit in the window seat and then I just sort of lean up. I shift oh, my one. butt left and lean right yes. against the window or vice versa. And that is that's kind of enough unless there's like terrible turbulence or whatever. Like I I my kids really like neck pillows. I had to buy them neck pillows on the last plane ride we took and they love them and they think it's so fun to wear them around their necks and stuff, but I <laughs> I don't uh, I don't use them. I, I just think that that like the leaning against the side of the plane, I get totally get. And even if you want to use like a neck pillow to like kind of keep your head off of the plane itself, I get that. Sure. I still don't know. I still don't know how you use a neck pillow itself to sleep. Well, according to although you, I, I I do the Megan way, that's how I would same do. Same person it. I know. I do, yeah, I there's do a very specific way. I mean, Joe, just try it. Maybe yeah, it might feel more natural and the kind of thing that you could have been doing for 15 years without ever thinking about it <laughs> if you just try it. Um, but yeah, it's a. Uh, I don't think I. I don't think it works around your neck. That's all I'll say. Yeah, yeah. That's that's that's. You're 100 percent right. <laughs> I, I believe that. Man. Megan, this has been amazing. This you have been wonderful. Thank you so much for spending the time. Uh, can you believe we did this? This is another ninety minutes. I apologize. Minute. That was definitely no, a lot my fault. Thank you so much. This was- it is not your fault. Well, this the is introduction of, um, the introduction yeah. of Spider Man and neck pillows into the into this uh, ecosystem in the last second extended it by like fifteen minutes. <laughs> it really did. It topics. really did. <laughs> so. Mike, as always, thank you. Thanks for having me.